Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio. This is the place where your browser stays. This is where your cursor sits. Israel News Talk Radio. When I need to know what's really going on, what's coming from the hearts and the belly and the soul of the Holy Land, this is the station I turn to. What about you? Okay. Listening in with us on this early morning in Jerusalem, this post-sugar, post-carbohydrate fest we had yesterday uh yesterday and the day before we'll talk about that in a second of purim the holiday of purim we have listening in with us folks from the u.s oh it's nighttime there oh laila tov okay we have boke tov eretz israel israel's with us this morning canada's listening in uh india is with us korea this morning very nice ireland and the uk and switzerland so far anybody else if I see it, I'll call it out. It's a romper room morning, and um, that's what we want to say. So anyway, anybody who wasn't living in Jerusalem or other walled cities in the world, and we, this is not a Purim show. That would have been last week had I actually done a show. Um, celebrated Purim, I believe it was Tuesday night and Wednesday. We had, no, Monday night and Tuesday. We had Tuesday night and Wednesday because we live in a walled city, Jerusalem, just like the city of Shushan Habira, the capital city of Shushan, where the Purim story took place. Oh, thank goodness. South Africa is also with us this morning because I have a thing or three to say about South Africa, my favorite second place, my second favorite place on earth. Um, Anyway, we had guests on Purim and everybody was wearing masks. And it's not the Purim show, but the problem is I really believe that it's a manufacturer's holiday because as of this morning, everybody who has celebrated Purim has probably a house filled with still uneaten hamantashen, you know, the the special triangular cakes, filled cakes that we eat on Purim, Uh, cookies, we have candy bars, we have (laughs) potato chips and bomba peanut snacks, and we have grape juice and candies and sweets and all kinds of really terrible things that are also on top of everything else not kosher for passover which will be i believe four weeks from last night we'll be sitting down at seder so if you're not going to be eating that stuff pass it on get rid of it it's no good for you throw it in the garbage and start cleaning the house and soon we'll be talking about cleansing our souls feels very good to be back didn't do a show last week for um a bunch of reasons Nothing terrible. Everything was good. And um, and yet when you don't have that show in between, I don't know how you guys feel. I feel this incredible disconnect and a sense of real peace, kind of feeling back home. And um, it feels warm. It feels good. You know, the things that interest me are things that I think are interesting to others. Maybe not, but uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. 
Okay. I hope I'm actually doing the show this morning without glasses. I'm reading and I really have very bad vision, but I'm seeing better without my glasses, looking at the text, uh, having some vision issues that we're going to have to be attended to. I'll let you know what the whole experience is like, because there's nothing I keep secret. So recently, um, it's very interesting because what's going on in the world always, 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 without exception, parallels what goes on in the Torah. This week's por- Torah portion is um, Ki Tisa, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit. You know, it's it's um, it's really very much a Torah portion about atonement, about being forgiven, about being members of the club, regardless of where you are holding spiritually, financially, um, in all areas. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the reason I mention this is how it paralleled. Um, We all have crises. We all have sadnesses in our families. We all have issues going on, whether they be financial, whether they be health, whether it be relationships. I learned something, something called a um, thank God, thank God, not experiencing it. But I'm sure that some of us listening in this morning have experienced or been a participant in something called parental alienation syndrome, have been hearing a lot about that lately. And it really made me very, very sad. And I was talking with one of my daughters this week who um, really has objectively, from my perspective, has really quite a hefty burden um, in her own life. And she's always so cheerful and she's always so upbeat and she's always so invested in her community. Really, I'd like to be her when I grow up. Really great admiration. And we were talking about a particular family crisis and this feeling of impotence, this feeling of what else can we do? How can we fix it? How can we maneuver it? How can we manipulate it? How can we make it have a a fabulous outcome? The outcome we want. And she said, you know what we can do, mommy? We can all take on something. Take on something. Three words. I always say, what do the people think the three most important words in the world are? I love you. Um, I've always, I've sort of always said, I think three very equally important words are, tell me more. But I loved what my daughter said, take on something. And the idea of taking on something, again, something consistent with Torah, something that, anything that's consistent with Torah makes the world great. Absolutely makes the world great. I've mentioned this before that I said, if something feels wrong, if something feels off, if you're reading an article or hearing a story and you get kind of the very deeply internal, yeah, I don't really think so. Happens very often in the woke world. You hear something and then you're ashamed to respond to it because the, I don't think so, or I don't like that can have terrible, terrible ramifications in this absolutely world, backwards, backwards, backwards world. But when something feels right, doesn't have to be analyzed, doesn't have to be interpreted, doesn't have to be parsed and dissected and looked at and say, well, you know, it's really fair. 
we know. We know when something feels right. And as my Rebbitzin used to say to me, if something feels right, you could be pretty sure it's consistent with Torah. And yet, if something doesn't feel right initially, and you've got to negotiate it to get to that right feeling, you could be pretty darn sure it's inconsistent with Torah values. Back to take on something. There's so much we can take on, whether it's taking on addressing our feelings of envy. I'm going to take that on. Taking on speaking badly about others. I have a new wonderful teacher in my life who says um, assassinating one's reputation, assassinating the reputation, speaking Lashon Hara, taking on being more generous, giving more tzedakah, more, for lack of a better word, charity, taking on one's modesty, dressing in a certain manner, taking on and the taking on every one of us listening in, whether live or on podcast, wherever we are holding, whether Jewish or not Jewish, whether observant or not observant, every one of us can absolutely light another candle. Lighting a candle is one of those things that taking light from another place does not diminish the light, it spreads the light. And every one of us, Someone, I once heard someone say, well, there's nothing I could do about this situation, but you know, at least, notice the sarcasm in the voice, at least, the least we can do is pray. Oh no, not the least you can do. It's the first step. It's the armor, it's the badge, it's the shield. It's number one, announcing what side you're on. So we can pray, we can take on, and we can, every one of us, change, change, change the world. Okay, in the two minutes remaining in this segment, I do want to say something that I've, South Africa is, again, my second home. And yet, I'm just, I don't know why I'm shocked. I'm shocked because so many people that I love live in South Africa, have lived in South Africa, feel, and you know what? The South African Parliament, I promise you, there's no other ways of looking at it, is at war with the Jewish state. They may not be lifting guns in the air or machetes, but they are at war and it is not symbolic. They are taking every single opportunity to defame, to, to, to absolutely debase everything about the Jewish state and the influence of our enemies on South Africa is shocking. Just at the same time that Israel is absolutely expanding our, our ties with Arab nations, indeed Muslim nations, South Africa, who has an opportunity to stand at the forefront of freedom with its rich history, is taking the lazy way and aligning itself with the most filthy diatribes and the most filthy outlooks on what Jews, Judaism, and the Jewish state is. So we're not going to talk Aliyah right now. Just wanted to share that thought with you. And when we come back, let's rev up for Torah. 
And we are back. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. My voice slows down when I'm looking through my notes. You know, I always say, oh, gee, I have nothing to talk about today. And then I'm looking and I'm saying drowning. And I like to keep it upbeat. I want to keep this an upbeat show because I'm upbeat. To be bleak, to be ordinary, to wring our hands. However, okay. Um, had I done a show last week, I would have spoken about, I think, hindsight is hindsight is 2020, which is clearly, clearly a lot better than my vision this morning. Um, okay. Oh, Angola has joined us this morning. Very nice. Very nice. Boketov, Angola. Um, something that has kind of rumbled, rumbled underneath the surface of Israel. You know, we Jews, deal. I mean, when I think about the kind of um, aspersions that have been cast upon us, cast upon us since time immemorial, nothing beats the ones we cast upon ourselves. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to actually get to that today because there's so many, I'm, I'm trying to read fun articles about Jews and Judaism in the world. Not so easy to come to. Anyway, um, about, I think it was two weeks ago. Let's see, what's today? Today is in the English calendar. I think it's the 10th, 9th, the 9th, I know. Okay, so today's the 9th. So I think that on the 1st of March, um, there was a bill introduced to the Knesset and um, a bill, first bill passed, instituting the death penalty in Israel for terrorists. Okay, anybody listening who's living in Israel is, regardless of what size, side you're on, you're saying, hey, it'll never happen, it won't pass, it won't be. Perhaps not. Nevertheless, the fact that the words were uttered, words have power, words take shape, words form. Um, I, I, I digress a second. There was a, a time, historically, where the phrase Palestinian state did not exist, did not exist. I, I, I believe I can first, although maybe it was before, it was that uh, Ehud Barak who raised that possibility when it never existed before. It was, it was, it was a free pass to Disney for the Arab population to come up with that phrase itself, madness. But the fact that we have no deterrence in this country for the terrorism, and again, do not take that word lightly. The word terror is meant to rattle one down to the bones, to his sinews. We do not look at our little children and say, oh, look what they did to the living room with the talcum powder. Such a little terrorist. We dilute the power of the siege that Israel finds herself under day in, day out. So regardless of whatever led to the discussion and the first bill passing for the death penalty, I would like to... I don't know even who said this. Uh, it doesn't, okay. Here is one of the comments that was made in the Knesset that I share with you. Quote, 
Oh, this was uh, Yehudit. Yehudit. I mean, Yehudit Limor. I, I can't even see who this is. Okay. For years, quote, an absurd situation has prevailed in the state of Israel in which despicable terrorists who murdered Jews are imprisoned in an Israeli prison for a period of several years, are released in a terrorist release deal or a plea deal, and return to walking among us as human beings. Enough of the national humiliation, enough of the terrorism, enough of the absurd reality in which murderers of Jews continue to live in this land. I must tell you, unless you live here, my friends, anybody listening in from Israel has got to feel something. You have to be brain dead, soul dead, not to feel something when you see on the same day as we are burying brothers, two sets of brothers, fathers, sisters, mothers, we bury them. And what do we see among our Arab residents in Israel? Music, dancing, distribution of candy, national holiday, a win, a win. The fact that we can actually raise the issue. There is no Arab terrorist, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, who does not see time in an Israeli prison as A, a superior graduate school training program for bettering terrorism skills, an opportunity to gain diplomas at accredited Israeli universities, free meals, top-of-the-line gyms that I cannot afford to join, three meals a day, food that is clean, kosher, and tasty, from what I've heard, and the knowledge that they will get out Oh, wait, that's only not the, the knowledge. I didn't, I didn't hit the top part. That they will get out in a swap deal, in a, you know, maybe I'm giving them ideas. I doubt it. But the best part, pay for slay. There is a range, there's a scale, there's a pay scale. If you work in a corporation, human resources, do they call it human resources today? I think so. Well, they call it something else. Um, and what they do is they actually, they pay, uh, the pay scale, depending on how many you killed, how many, what was the collateral damage? Your family is taken care of. You, with no education, no outreach, no goals, no dreams of a future, because your people have squelched every dream that one could possibly have. You can take care of your family for years. Be a hero. Twisted, sick. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the Association for Civil Rights in Israel argued that the death penalty contradicts the values of the state of Israel. Believe me, I'm a real closet 
a closet bleeding heart. I struggle with these things. I know that I would feel queasy the first time the hangman dropped open the trap door, which it won't be by hanging, of course. But you know what? I feel very uncomfortable at the end of the Purim Megillah, where all the sons of Haman are hung one by one by one by one. But we learn, do not be merciful to the cruel. Want to know what you think about Israel imposing a death penalty. All right. Came across another article. Anybody listening in from California? Hope you'll let me know. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. A high school graduation after years and years and years of holding a graduation at a very famous school called the Berkeley Unified School. Um, They are holding their graduation on Shabbat. And some Jewish children, Jewish families, very articulate, very outspoken, are protesting this and saying they knew, but they would make all kinds of um, considerations to other faiths. And yet, for the Jewish children, children, they are not. I don't know how I feel about it. There's a lot of parents saying, listen, you knew it when you signed up. Let them skip it. And... um, And yet the school board is saying we're really trying our best to figure out how to do better for future year graduations. Um, How do you feel about it, schools making? I know, for example, we have all these holidays coming up. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of work for the uh, New York City Department of Education. (laughs) It's a real eye-opener. And I know the considerations that are taken for all the students of all faiths are staggering, not just Jewish students, not just Christian students, all denominations. Um, the holiday of Eid, E-I-D, Arab holiday, comes in. They, they take care of all of these. Schools are closed. So, um, yeah, want to know what you think. Okay, before we go to break and we come back, one more thing. There were protests this week outside of the homes of um, last week out of uh, New York uh, Congressman Chuck Schumer. And, you know, when you have anything to say about the Jewish state, let me just remind you in our last minute. In Iran, they hang gays, they execute women for being raped. In, um, in China, leading the world in executions without any kind of due process. Turkey, competing with Iran for the highest number of jailed journalists. Lebanon, you know that Palestinians are not allowed to own land. They're not allowed to be lawyers, engineers, or doctors. I didn't know that. In Lebanon. So if you're listening in and you have some uh, some animosity towards the Jewish state and you want to boycott the only democracy in the Middle East because we are Jewish, that, my friend, is called racism. And anybody who partakes is guilty. My name is Andrea Simintov. Guess what? See you on the other side.
we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And apparently Iran has just joined us. Okay. Boketov. Good morning, Iran. Um, hmm. So I mentioned at the beginning of the program just one thing. Take on, what did I say? Take on something, take something on. That's it. In a sense, this whole Torah portion that we're talking about, I'm feeling a, let me just get a grip. I'm feeling a little bit emotional. This week, I was speaking with somebody who's angry, angry a lot, not young, angry, just always angry. And it's like, sort of, you have to like rest and And I thought to myself, the discomfort, the weight of being angry all the time. And I wish that I could say to you, I have no personal experience, but the opposite. Um, Someone once said to me, you know, when anger is present, God is absent. And I didn't really understand that. And this week, uh, for any of you who read Rabbi Sachs's weekly uh, weekly column. I think it's a covenant, and I'll have to look it up. I can't remember. I have it here somewhere. Um, I don't know why I'm obsessing. Hello. Same week. We, we keep this show real, very au courant. Um, Rabbi Sachs is Covenant and Conversation. And this week, his Parsha, his Porsche, it's called The Closeness of God. So many years ago, I read a book by. Um, Rabbi Avraham Tversky, may he rest in peace. And his book was called, um, I believe it was called, it's not in front of me, Anger, Anger, the Hidden Teacher. I think it was the Anger, Anger, the Hidden Teacher. I'll confirm that for next week. And I remember being very, very moved by that title. I thought it was very, very brave. And I thought, you know, if there's one message that we can get from this week's Torah reading, it is that although we might do wrong and anger Hashem, since since we are important to Hashem, to God, we are able to do teshuva, to return, for lack of better word, repent. And God will he can accept it and he will accept it. Not only with not only will God accept our apologies, he's also going to try to hide our sins, to prevent us from the added humiliation when they are recounted. You know, um, came across something very interesting. It says, you know, consider the placement of the story of the Agel, the golden calf. Now, I have said this before, and you'll hear it from so many other Torah speakers on this station, as well as your own teachers. The Torah is not a history book. It is not chronological. And here we have a perfect example. The sin of the calf occurred chronologically before the construction of the tabernacle, the Mishkan. The building of this tabernacle, what was it? It was to serve as a kapara, an atonement, a remedy for our sin. And yet we find the story of Israel's major violation. This was the big one, baby. Smack in the middle of Ki Sisa, which is itself 
surrounded by different Torah portions. On one side, Teruma and Tetzaveh, and on the other side, Vayakel and Pikudei. If this was a world of journalism, we buried the story, killed the story effectively as any newspaper editor could. It shows that even as we sin and our sins are publicized, God surrounds the sin with rectification, showing both before and after how to remedy what we haven't done. Indeed, how to soften the blow. So what actions can we perform? Back to the take something on. What actions can we perform to correct or even prevent that stigma of sin? What can we take on as a living atonement in a world we wish to make holier and hopefully hasten the coming of Moshiach, the Messiah? Just some thoughts I came across. Kachlecha samim. Take take the herbs, take the spices. This would include the levana spice. I don't, I think it's albun, albun, you know what? Don't quote me today. I think I have too much sugar on the brain. Um, there's one of the spices that was in the mixture that has a terrible smell. It's actually rumored that it had the possibility it could make a pregnant woman, God forbid, miscarry. But like the sinner, it can still be mixed with the sweet-smelling spices. In fact, in fact, and I actually digress from my, my script here, if you made a mistake in creating the mixture for the base Hamikdash, the holy temple, one the 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 Kohen was liable to being killed because every spice belonged. If one spice was missing, it might smell wonderful, but it wasn't quite perfect. It's the same thing with Am Yisrael. We can't have a Jewish people that is made just of Haredim or a society that is made of just national observant, just secular, just Sephardim, um, you know, North African, just Eastern European. That's not who we are. The fragrance will be off. We need the fragrance of all, even those who are not yet observant. Those Jews who are, God forbid, in prison. Those Jews who have stepped away and are creeping back. This makes the beautiful, beautiful fragrance of who we are. Praying together in a minyan, a quorum, without being Jewish, without being Jewish, without being embarrassed, says Rashi, spotlights the greatness of the tzaddikim, the righteous ones. You need those who aren't on such a level to highlight the beauty of those who are more holy among us. Uh, the writing is called Meshech Chachmo. Just came across this. Love it. Says so simply, think good thoughts. I jump it in again. I say, take it on. Just as Betzalel did. But Salah was the one who created all the beauty for the tabernacle. He was the artist supreme. According to the purity of the thoughts of the contributor, But Salah decided 
what to do with those donations. And Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch says to us, treat Shabbos, treat the, the Sabbath as if you were a watchman with all the responsibilities toward the item you are guarding, not to unlawfully use or denigrate the holiness of God's chattel for one moment, even in your thoughts. Not easy. <laughs> Not easy stuff. I certainly have my work cut out for me. And the Chafetz Chaim brings down the quality of Shmiras Shabbat, observing the Sabbath, guarding the Sabbath, of each of us affects the rest of us. Meaning, the way I treat the Sabbath, the way I honor the Sabbath, the way I celebrate the Sabbath, according to the Chafetz Chaim, has an effect on your Sabbath. It's a weighty obligation, but an obligation that we can take on happily. And in closing up this just little portion here that I want to say, God will bestow rachamim, mercy, upon one who is himself merciful. Wow. Something really to take to the Shabbos table. Okay, something else. And this gets back to a little bit political, but the Torah touches on at the Shabbos. We are warned. We are warned in this Parsha not to make a covenant with the Amorites and the Canaanites. We can make jokes. Well, where are they? Where are the Canaanites? Where are the Amorites? Aren't they gone? No, they're not gone lest they be a mokesh, a snare among us. I didn't know that word, mokesh. I learned it. And according to Rabbi Zalman Sorotskin, showing mercy to them is actually a cruelty, for they constitute a mokesh. Again, it's a snare. And you know what we use the word mokesh in modern Hebrew today? It's a landmine, a mine that a soldier could inadvertently step on. If that mine is deactivated, something dangerous is removed from the world. But if we draw near without the proper precautions, if we don't have mine detection, it will explode in our hands, under our feet, destroying us and everything around us. Even if we talk peace with those who are Mokesh, they will make war with us. And with all that is upright and decent in man. I don't know about you guys. For me, this appears to be very nice fodder for the Shabbos table discussion. Your thoughts? Anxious. So, <clears throat> all right, that was a little bit of an aside. But, you know, I like to tie in the politics. <laughs> can't get away. Can't get away. And this is the apolitical show on the stage. And you should know that. This is the fun. Soon I'm going to start, like, just putting out weekly recipes. Okay. There's no doubt, well, not to me anyway, um, there's no doubt that the incense did provide a very strong, a very pungent fragrance. Um, and yet, nowhere, according to Rabbi Wine, is, does he bring, he brings down that it doesn't compare to anything. It doesn't say, like, you know, we know Shira Shireen, the Song of Songs. Um, you know, they talk about, you know, 
you know, the comparisons of the skin, the hair, the lips. Um, no comparisons here. We have no idea what it is. Um, the Talmud adds that if the incense mixture would be combined with combined with honey, however, the smell would be so pleasant, it would be intoxicating. So I don't know about you, but it behooves me to ask. So why wasn't honey added to the formula? And the Torah forbade this addition to the incense mixture by stating explicitly, just as it says, honey was not to be introduced on the altar. What's the lesson here? What is the profound lesson other than not saving the Shema? The Torah says it and I'll do it. But there's a little bit of a deeper lesson, perhaps. The Torah's instructions are not to be improved upon by human tastes, fads, popular ideas, wokeism, equality, uh, what is that? Affirmative action. The mystique of the incense offering is not to be enhanced by human preferences. Jewish history has shown us time and time again, quite often, with a great amount of blood spilled, that all such improvements are eventually discarded. The Torah deals with not today, not what's in, not what's hot. It deals with eternity and not with the current moods. The Torah itself is the sole arbiter of what the fragrance of the incense should be. And that's enough. Um, let's see here. The Torah also commands that the count of the Jewish people should be undertaken. Now, it's very funny. I always get very nervous with this. My, my, my late mother-in-law, who I absolutely, she was my teacher. She was not educated. She was really, she was really the embodiment of um, Rachel Basleya, she was sorry, Rebel, <laughs> Rachel Bas Moshe. She was the embodiment of I accept and I will listen. Her Torah was so. When I used to watch her daven, I almost felt I would watch her pray. I sometimes used to feel that I don't have to pray. She's praying enough for all of us, and I don't mean in terms of time. I meant in intensity. And one of the things that she never permitted. She was born and raised in Afghanistan, very, very Sephardic, North African um, culture. And she never let us count. If you would say, how many children do you have? We Ashkenazim said, how many children do you have? She would always say five. Five was the magic number. It wasn't true. She had more children. How old are you? 55. It wasn't true. But five had for her a special blessing. And I say this, and I'm, I'm reminded of her with, with really laughter in my heart, but because a counting of people especially is something that Jews, um, Jewish tradition eschews. But what is very noteworthy is the language, the word the Torah uses in ordering this count. In the literal translation, and I'm translating from the Hebrew because... <laughs> because we'll see when you raise the heads of the Jewish people to assess their numbers, 
Notice it's not saying count the people, count the bodies. The Torah does not state when you count the people of Israel. It says, it teaches us a very important lesson in Jewish and family life. A person who is counted and considers himself or herself to be part of the Jewish people has to do so by being a person with a raised head. That person has to feel that he or she is special, chosen, set aside, earmarked in a sense for a, for a mission in life. The raised head is the symbol of Jewish pride and determination. So counting the Jewish people is not meant to be an exercise in, um, you know, number, number piling. It's far deeper. It's far more intense. It's really a count me in type of an equation. The task of the leader of the people is not only to come up with an accurate population number, but perhaps according to Rabbi Wine, I hope this is Rabbi Wine, more importantly, to inspire and raise those who are being counted to a greater understanding of their role and purpose in being part of the Jewish people. For eventually being counted as a member of the Jewish people requires commitment, effort, and constant personal development. I remember years ago when I first started exploring you know, Torah observance, um, I was reminded not that it doesn't happen, but for example, I know that I and my children never eat in the street. I don't even think I've ever walked eating an ice cream cone, you know, meandering around eating an ice cream cone or eating a sandwich as I'm running. Because some teacher said to me, well, you know, a prince doesn't eat while walking in the street. A prince and a princess sits down to dine. And um, I'm also recalling that Ruth, when she was um, picking the wheat or whatever she was doing, separating the chaff from the way, when she was in the fields, Ruth bent at the knees. She bent at the knees in a naturally very modest fashion um, so that her skirt wouldn't hike up in the back. You know, very often you're bending down, you're reaching down, you see pictures of slave women. I mean, to work quickly, they had to bend over and pull, pull, pull. But with their butt raised in the air, this was not a very modest gesture. And so we learned this, that by being counted, we're being counted for something greater, something a tad more noble. Now, we're all aware of that injunction not to count Jews directly. Um and we know that we were just in the last part, two part, last two parts ago, we were counted by the number of half shekels co collected by the census takers. And in the book of Saul, King Saul, uh, in the book of Shmuel, actually, Samuel, he counts the Jewish people by assessing the number, this is interesting, of individual sheep. I just learned this. The same lesson is involved in this rule as the idea mentioned in that previous paragraph that the true count of the people of Israel is never only the raw number. It's the worth of the individual, the pride, the self-esteem of being Jewish. And that's not something that can be easily assessed by a number. Coins, sheep, you can count them. You, know, you don't say, well, that's a more noble sheep. He's worth two. 
but not the Jewish people, or for that matter, any human being. We are all created in God's image, and we are raw potential, chomer, clay, but clay that has the potential to be developed, to be built, to be kneaded into something spectacular. The influence of our lives is something not to be given um, physical measurement. The Torah commands each and every one of us to raise our heads, to become more knowledgeable, devoted, committed to holy values, moral values, observances, and spiritual outlook. If you hear someone say, well, that's the way I am. Take it or leave it. It's antithetical to Torah. Each individual must feel and believe that he or she is special, unique, vital, and most important, necessary for the world to exist and prosper. People who feel there's no difference if I'm Jewish, observant, part of the people, march to my own drummer. They do themselves and the Jewish people as a whole a terrible, terrible disservice. Only those who proudly raise their heads are truly part of the eternal count of the Jewish people. So this week, I'm just trying to say, just taking a look here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we're going to go. So I mentioned earlier that I had this discussion with somebody who just was just always angry and the anger gang anger affected had a profound effect on every member of his family. Um, people bent over backwards not to raise his ire, um, always answering what they thought he wanted to hear, actually creating lies rather than being victim. And suddenly this week, I thought to myself, this angry person is so separate from his soul. Our souls are not angry. What makes that unity? We've mentioned on other shows when Avraham, when Abraham raises the knife to take the life of his only son, his ticket to Jewish immortality. Then does the voice ring out, Abraham, Abraham, the soul and the being have connected to one. To be separate from our souls, to walk around when we feel ourselves in discord, when we feel ourselves, I don't know, just not right, disordered. We, we, we have to, well, we have to, we have to. It behooves us to perhaps take a moment, take a spiritual moment, to identify the source of our disconnect. Because only when we reach that connect are we God-centers. Anger, you know, this week, and I have to tell you, the Rabbi, the Rabbi um, Sachs essays, they're very long, they're very intense. Um, so certain things jumped out at me this week and I wanted to share with you. So Rabbi Sachs, says, um, oh yeah, I'm sorry, it was the Rabbi Avraham Tversky book, it was, it was Anger, the Inner Teacher. 
That was what it was. Very, very nice. So Rabbi Sachs says that anger is an extremely bad attribute, and one should distance oneself from it by going to the other extreme. Now, this is hard stuff, boys and girls. I got to tell you. Um, one should train himself not to get angry, even about something to which anger might be the appropriate response. What do the ancient sages say, according to Rabbi Sachs? He brings down one who yields to anger is as if he had worshipped idols. They also said, whoever yields to anger, if he is wise, his wisdom deserts him. And if he is a prophet, his prophecy leaves him. Also, the life of an irascible person is not a life. So therefore, the sages have instructed us to keep far from anger, training ourselves to stay calm, even in the face of provocation. This is the right way. You know, so again, when this child of mine, who I have to forget, who I do forget sometimes, is a grown woman who has attained great wisdom. I still think of her as like saying, who made the mess and didn't clear the table? And whose underwear is this? Put it in the hamper. Um, when she said to me, mommy, take on something. It's a gift to be able to hear these words. And from whomever, if I can help be a catalyst to three people today who think, gee, I'm going to take on something, then I can pass on this mitzvah, this holy commandment to someone else. I think uh, many of the people, and I haven't read this anywhere, but I'd be curious if anybody who's a coach or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a mental health worker, could anger be considered an addiction? You know, I think there is such a thing as, uh, we know that there is a thing called addiction, and it can be very hard to cure it, even when we're fully aware of how badly we're injuring ourselves and others. Rabbi um, Sachs brings up the story that he says that he himself tried to give it up, anger, and he repeatedly failed. Then someone he respected greatly became angry with him. He was faced with a very cool anger, but it felt like a slap in his face. And he said it cured him. The shock was so great that he stopped. The experience of being on the receiving end of someone's anger totally changed his life. He thinks it even saved his life. I agree with Rabbi Sachs. It can be a very difficult discovery. It could even raise feelings of humiliation. But Rabbi Sachs says when you're a leader, when people listen to you, you're often at the receiving end of people's anger. You learn to live with it and not let it depress or deflect you. However, when someone who clearly cares for you expresses anger, not because he or she disagrees, but simply because they see that you're doing yourself harm, it can change your life. That's where it can be perhaps a good thing to show it. You know, there are families and cultures where anger is used too often. We talk about it a lot on this show. It's abusive. It's harmful. Anger is so bad for a person who feels it. And often for the one who receives it. I think about angry households and the effects it has on children. But you know, friends and family, we can take that one thing on and think 
I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling rage. Quick, make a list. Make a list. I know that I am going to try to do this personally. Make a list of what we can replace it with. So many of us have been on diets. What can I replace this food when I'm being sabotaged, when I'm having an urge? Why would we not take negative midot, negative attributes, and have a list of what we can transfer them to, what we can change them to? All of us. Just one thing. Take on something. My name's Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 